to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Shauna David and I'm back to take you through the latest news and results from the women's game internationally and locally. Coming up on this week's episode is the Super League, a super idea. The Green and White Army make history. The Lionesses lose their roar. We look back at 10 years of the WSL and the thrills, spills and shocks from the fourth round of the FA Cup. So joining me this week to look over everything is once again to keep his beady eyes across all the news and FA Cup scores. It's Andrew Rayburn. Nice to see you again, Andrew. And to you, Seanid. Welcome back. And back with us once again, it's the lovely Hannah Mendelssohn. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Thanks for having me. And our very special guest this week is women's football correspondent for Goal.com, Amy Rusky. Thank Amy. you for having me. Well, guys, the only place to start this week is the news that everyone in the football world is talking about at the moment. It's the the story about the plans for a brand new European Super League. 15 teams around Europe want to form a European Super League, um, including some of the big hitters from England, Chelsea, Man City, Man U, Arsenal. Um, In the statement that they've released, though, they've said that the plan is, is once the men's European Super League is established, that the plan is, is to start one for the women's game. Um, I know we could talk about this for hours, so we'll stick to just talking about this from women's football's perspective. Um, Andrew, I'll come to you first. We've talked a lot about equality on this podcast and the need to grow the women's game. I can see you smiling. You're raring to go, Andrew, but... Would this be a good thing for the women's game or a complete disaster, do you think? Well, it depends if it actually uh, ever happens. Um, I think I am sceptical and I think that it was perhaps a rather um, strategic decision, shall we say, to uh, to include it as a bit of an afterthought. And I think, um, I think it's cynical in the extreme. Um, I don't doubt that there will be moves to incorporate women's the women's teams into the to to a a structure um but given the clubs involved and while some of them have great commitment to their women's teams others have only been around five minutes uh i think that it's appeasement rather than uh anything that will seriously help the women's game and and i mean it's 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 going to as we've a lot of people have said it's going to damage the the men's game there's just because there is a a sort of a longer history behind the men's Mm. game I know we can talk about you know the fact that women's football in England was banned for 50 years but you you, so women's football in England is effectively 50 years behind just because it's you know it doesn't mean to say that with women's football being a different established setup uh, that it will be beneficial there either um, it will be exactly as 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 damaging, I think. Mm. Amy, you know, if like the men's game teams like Chelsea and Arsenal are pulled into this proposed women's European Super League, where do you think the players would stand on this? Do you think they'd be up for it? I think it's a really strange one because I guess it it's so it's so early. It's hard to kind of imagine because everything we kind of talk about is hypothetical and you know it might never even happen the fact that it's come up is obviously shocking and you know I think most football fans and most people in football see it as a terrible idea but I think um, for the players it's going to be like a big sort of if it really all goes ahead as it's all planned it's going to be a big kind of what you know where are your 
morals, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. when clubs like in Germany are, are completely against this sort of thing, you know, do we see massive amounts of players kind of flocking to, to these leagues where, you know, they, they respect and they see the morals of the same way that they do. So it's going to be really interesting, especially if, you know, that FIFA ban that they're talking about comes in about national teams. So mm-hmm. everything's so hypothetical. It's, it's, but yeah, it's going to be, it's really strange. Yeah, it's true. There's still so much information coming out and we're still waiting um, on a lot of stuff. But Hannah, in terms of the women's game, some people would argue, actually, the more money the women's game, the more money is pumped into the women's game, then then the better. Would you say so? Um, I mean, I definitely think that it's fair to say that the women's game needs more money coming into it. But I just don't know if this is like the right way. I think you'll see the same the same qualms that people have about what it's going to do to the men's game in terms of creating even more of a hierarchy would happen. We already, there's already that division between the clubs that spend a lot of money and the clubs that don't. And then if it's the same clubs that are getting more money through this super league, it's just going to further kind of um, extend that gap um, that we see in the women's league. So I, I think that I, no one wants to turn away money for the women's game because as Andrew was saying, you know, it, it, is behind in that development but I don't think that this is the best way to go about it and I would just add there that I think Hannah's absolutely right and what Amy said is right too you know what you've got to understand is to, to borrow a line I'm not going to bring politics into it but to borrow a line from Peter Mandelson back in the day you know I'm fairly comfortable with people getting richer um, and women's football need but it's the sporting aspect of it it's the mm. very fact that it will be you know standalone um and you know a closed shop and you know sport sport has had to modernize and has had to follow certain trends and become more business-like because that's the way of the modern world um you know people were complaining about you know sponsors appearing on shirts and teams playing on Sundays because of television and everything else but those were things were always going to to, to happen um it was a gradual process this is a, a, a complete and utter uh schism it's a complete split it is anti-competitive it's anti-football. There was a really good piece in the New York Times where, and there was a line where it says, um, if you can't lose, then it's not sport, it's content. And I completely agree with that. It's, I think that to me just, yeah, sums all of this up. And I'm conscious of time. I know we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but yeah, it'll be really interesting, especially from the women's side to see how all of this develops. Um, So guys, we'll move on and we'll head over to, the Irish Sea, over the Irish Sea, as Northern Ireland made history as they qualified for their first ever major tournament, leading 2-1 from the first leg in Ukraine. Goals from Captain Marissa Callaghan and Nadine Caldwell gave the Green and White Army a, play, a place in next year's Euros, a feat that had looked impossible earlier in the qualifying campaign for them. Northern Ireland, they're ranked 49th and they are the 49th in the world. They are the lowest ranked team to qualify for the tournament, Hannah, the women's national team was only reformed in 2004 after being disbanded and at the turn of the century, which makes this achievement just even more remarkable, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's huge. Um, it's the sort of kind of fairy tale story that that you love to see, and I think it's going to be um, super exciting, especially for uh, a UK team in the next Euros and yeah it's, it's just unbelievably huge and 
I, 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 I don't have much more to say on it other than it's just so, so exciting to see that. And I really hope that they um, do well when the mm. tournament comes. And Amy, it's obviously always great to see as many home nations at these major tournaments. And Northern Ireland, they certainly, they didn't do it the easy way, did they? No, I think, um, yeah, they, I think that makes the story better in a way. The kind of the way that you, you kind of thought, oh, it's it's going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, it's a really great uh, column that Rachel Furness did for BBC Sport Northern Ireland. Um, if anybody hasn't read it, it's really good. And it she kind of talks about the impact that Kenny Shields has had and that's kind of made them believe that they can get there. And like, just, it, yeah, it's a really great kind of inside look into, into how it all came about. And Andrew, they won't just want to go there and make up the numbers, will they? They'll absolutely be there to compete against some of the biggest names in Europe. Absolutely. And it, it, that's the thrill, isn't it, of, of, of qualifying for major tournaments? You know, I mean, I, I, <laughs> coming back to the Super League thing, you know, when you get into the you're, you're, you're a side that can play amongst the elite, um, you know, it really is going to be an experience. It also should do a lot for women's football in Northern Ireland as well, women's sport generally. Um, it's the old, you know, you've got to sort of, it's a, you know, to be it, you've got to see it, et cetera, et cetera, various mm. forms of that. Um, I think, you, you know, to be able to see the Northern Ireland women's team competing um, at the tournament is going to be huge. And I, I also don't think it should be underestimated what Northern Ireland have done here in Crane. You know, I think they, they you know, they hadn't lost in, in over a year. Um, you know, I think it was seven or eight matches unbeaten to win both those matches. You know, they didn't just scrape through. They won 4-1 on aggregate um, mm. against a team ranked, ranked much higher than them in the world. And it shows that I think they've got a team spirit there. We talked before in other pods about the fact they've got quite experienced players and then some younger, less experienced players. And that kind of blend is serving them well and will serve them, you know, might serve them well in, in, in the tournament. If they take a couple of beatings, so be it. But they're going to enjoy the experience and it's going to lay markers down, I think, for Northern Irish sport. Absolutely. And also joining Northern Ireland after playoff victories are Russia and Switzerland, who overcame Portugal and the Czech Republic, respectively. Uh, guys, the Lionesses, they slumped to a second defeat in a week with a home defeat against Canada. Our producer, Luke, was at Stoke and you can hear his At The Match special, which is out now. So please do head over and give that a listen. Um, Amy Heger-Reese in a post-match press conference, she said that she felt that England aren't that far away from, you know, where they want to be. But what do you think? Because I saw a lot of stuff on social media of people saying, God, this really, like, isn't great at the moment. Yeah, it's really weird at the moment because this, it's just England find themselves in such a strange circumstance and in between managers and going into a major tournament that isn't England, it's actually Team GB and everything else. The Canada game was, I mean, you know, let's not sugarcoat it, it was really not a great game of football to watch at all. Um, mm. You know, the, it was not one for the neutrals, you know, the two goals came from defensive errors. But I think the one thing that kind of stood out for me about England that we probably haven't seen from England over the last two years was that the defeat to France was just on the transition. And then for this game, they worked on that, that, that kind of aspect of where they'd gone wrong and that they weren't caught out on the transition. The defence, you know, to give them credit, Leah Williamson and Millie Bright were great. Um, but the fact that they kind of worked on this, this issue that they'd been conceding from a few days earlier was something, you know, we've watched England concede the same goals over and over again for two years. So I think that was kind of maybe the one positive in what was otherwise a pretty 
you know, there was nothing on the attack and, you know, the defensive errors speak for themselves. But it's really difficult for Hege Risa, I think, because she has a short amount of time. But, you know, England want, I mean, Team GB want to medal this summer and they're going to have to improve. Mm. Hannah, if you were in Serena Wiegmann's shoes, where do, you know, the concerns lie for you? Are you worried about, you know, the massive task that's ahead of you? Um, I mean, she's clearly proven herself to be a very, very effective manager in what she's done in the past. So I imagine that, you know, part of the reason why she wants to come on is is the challenge of, take, of working with England. But they definitely, when you look at their individual prowess, they're just not performing as a team where they should be and they're not clicking. And so I think that that is concerning. But then, you know, as Amy says, it's been a, like a long period of transition, strange situation for them with managers. So I, I guess she's, she's going to have a big job to do with the Euros coming up once she takes over. Um, but I'm sure that she will be thinking that it's something she can do. Hmm. And Amy, you have to give massive credit to Canada. They faced Wales and England. They've scored five goals, conceded none. You know, they've had a, a very productive week, is fair to say. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting with Canada because they've got so many, like, great players and you look at the squad. They've got and a they... great squad. So I remember seeing the team sheet against Wales and you think, oh, my gosh, <laughs> like, yeah, these are so talented. Like, you look at that squad and you think, this is an amazing team, but they just haven't seemed to realise their potential um, mm. over the last few years. You know, they under the last manager, they were, they were quite stale at times. And I think it'd be great if Bev Priestman can kind of get the best out of them because they've got some unbelievable players and you know they've got players at the biggest clubs in the world like you know it's it's a great start and you know the sheep beliefs cup obviously was a bit of a strange one for them but you know to get these uh, two results will be really good for them and yeah hopefully we can see them performing as well as they could be because they could be you know one of the best sides to kind of watch absolutely um kind of they faced wales as well it was Gemma granger's first camp uh, as the new Welsh boss, it ended with a one-all draw against Denmark. The first goal under Granger's period was that fantastic goal by Jess Fishlock. Um, the only thing stopping Fishlock was a, a cramp that briefly stopped the post-match press conference. I don't know if any of you have seen that video. It's uh, it's quite funny. I don't think I've ever seen that happen in a in a press conference before. Um, Hannah, you know, it's been hasn't been long since Gemma Granger got the job. You know, it's, it's literally been a matter of weeks. She hasn't had that much time with the team, but from what we've seen so far, things seem to look pretty positive for Wales. Yeah, I think it's it's an exciting time, um, and uh, I didn't actually catch the match this week, so I, I don't feel like I can comment much. But um, I definitely think you know it's a strong start for her. Mm. And Amy, you know, she's spoken a lot about the ambitions that she has for the Welsh team. Getting to the World Cup is the number one priority, and you know she's made a real impression already, hasn't she? It seems. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's a really strange one because obviously Jane Ludlow was in charge for so long and, and Gemma's kind of come in and she's she's going to be trying to implement her own ideas and stuff. And I think the one thing that impressed me about the international break was more the fixtures that they actually lined up, was kind of the ambition, like to play against 
Canada and to play against Denmark, who were two of like really good teams, very highly ranked, kind of mm-hmm. shows that, you know, they, they have big ambitions. You know, they could have picked two relatively small teams across Europe and had a fairly comfortable start. But, you know, they really do seem to be aiming quite big. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, last Tuesday marked 10 years since the WSL was launched. Jill Flaherty, currently at West Ham, scored the first ever goal in the WSL as Chelsea beat Arsenal. As we've mentioned previously, from next season, WSL games will be shown live across the BBC and Sky in the deal worth £7 to £8 million per season. Kelly Simmons, the FA Women's Professional Game Director, said the next challenge for the WSL is to become self-sustainable and rely less on financial support from men's football, despite significant gains in acquiring revenue, Simmons admits that. The goal is still several years away. She also said that the league was looking to address the standard of refereeing in women's football, which has come under increasing scrutiny. Uh, We've got an announcement probably in the next week or so around an uplift in that area, she said. Andrew, I'll come to you first. It's amazing, I I think, just when you think about how much that league has grown and developed over the past 10 years. Absolutely, it is. It's it's a product that that keeps improving um, and probably doesn't need teams leaving it. Um, I think the I think the setup uh, was uh, you know I think that its institution was obviously a, a a great thing. I think it's gone through different teething issues. I think obviously, like you mentioned, the standard of refereeing has come under scrutiny. I think that's just a trend generally, really, amongst football fans and, and increased media scrutiny, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Although training up uh, you know, sort of more female referees full stop would be a, a, a great idea. Um I think the I think the licensing system obviously has, has caused some controversy over the over the last few years. But um the product keeps improving the players more it's more attractive to to, to 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 bigger name players and i think it's really caught the attention of uh, of, of people outside of england i think there was this feeling that obviously whatever english football produces is going going to be you know the, at the top end but in reality we were behind a lot of countries in terms of domestic level and now i think we are starting to to close up that gap and the, the WSL is responsible for that. And I think, you know, here's to the next 10 years and beyond. Yeah. And Hannah, it will certainly attract, like Andrew's just touched on, you think about the whole wide world, it will attract more viewers, more players as well, I'd imagine, to want to come and play in the league. I think so. And I think, I mean, we've seen that over the past couple of years, haven't we? With players coming from America, Australia, with um, Panilla Harder, you know, these big name players have been choosing to come to the WSL over maybe Leon or um or the NWSL and so it's already started attracting that internet the international players and so I think that you know the having it broadcast and is only going to make it even an even more attractive product for players looking to play at the top of the women's game <sighs> so let's talk about you Actually, let's talk about me, just for a bit, because I was like you. In 40-odd years, I hadn't done much exercise, but I knew I had to start. So, I got the Couch to 5K app. From not being able to run for more than a minute, nine weeks later, I was running for half an hour. It's simple, it's free, and it's all planned out. With a little support, it's amazing what your body can do. 
Join thousands of monthly users. Download the free One U Couch to 5K app now because there's only one you. Moving on to the Champions League. Leon will not be retaining their title after they were knocked out on away goals by French rivals PSG. Leon led 1-0 after the first leg in Paris and looked set to be heading through after Caterina Macario put them 2-0 up on aggregate after just four minutes, but goals from Gioro and an own goal from Wendy Renard saw a remarkable turnaround. Amy, this is the result that sent shockwaves through Europe, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's really weird because, I mean, obviously Leon came off the back of that COVID situation and a lot of their players have you know, been in quarantine for the last two weeks. But, you know, still the, the fact that they scored after four minutes and, you know, PSG are 2-0 down on aggregate. You know, PSG haven't won in Leon for like, I think it's 11 games or something, their last 11 visits. It was Grace Guerrero after said something like, I'm sick of losing in this place. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm so glad that we kind of won. Um, the men, I think, if anything, the psychological impact that this game kind of has, that they actually won in Lyon and, mm-hmm. you know, have knocked Lyon out of the Champions League for the first time in a while, um, is so big. And I think it'll be massive as well for their kind of title chase. You know, if they're to, mm-hmm. they've got to play Lyon again to, to try and win that French title, that first French title. You know, it's it's psychologically, it's just going to be absolutely massive because they know that they can they can beat them on the biggest stage, and in you know the circumstances have been two 0 down. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And Hannah, from Chelsea's point of view, obviously PSG will be on a, a massive high. But do you think Chelsea will feel that they can go and win this now? I think so. Psychologically, it must really open up the race for everybody because Leon have been like this huge obstacle for teams winning. You know. It's just been a barrier and now that's not there and suddenly players must be kind of imagining it even more. I mean, I know that, you know, if you take Chelsea, Emma Hayes has always would would say that that wasn't a concern and, but I, and that they think that they could play them. But I think that knowing that they're not there now and that, that it just opens up the race a lot more, even as we go into the semi-finals. Hmm. It's definitely going to be an intriguing fixture and one that we will, of course, be all across here on the Women's Football Podcast. Um, it was the fourth round of the FA Cup this weekend. This is the round where the Championship and WSL clubs enter the competition. Before we look at Sunday's games, two ties took place on Friday and Saturday. London City Lionesses play at Hayley Nolan took over our Instagram stories to show how she prepared for the big game against Chelsea on Friday. However, on the field, it didn't go to plan as despite Chelsea not being at full strength, they did run out as comfortable 5-0 winners in the end. On Saturday, the all-WSL tie saw Man City add to Aston Villa's. Yeah, Aston Villa not having a great time at the moment. They lost by eight goals to nil to Man City. Andrew, you predicted last week that, well, you think Villa will stay up. Will a result like this change their change the dynamics at all? Well, I don't think they'll be expecting, uh, obviously, to, to 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 run Man City very close. Um, there's obviously leagues within leagues. That's one of the issues, maybe, with the, the the WSL is that we're not yet we're yet to see that kind of parity restored. Um, but what I would say from Villa's perspective, I stand by it, is that it's in their hands essentially because their their games are not against the the, the, the top sides. Now that most of their games are against teams that, if they win those games, that will. It will, but they're basically six pointers, the, the the cliche six pointers, because it will, you know, establish a gap between those and 
those teams. So, yeah, Villa need a couple of wins in, in their final few games and it will put other teams back into trouble again. So, um, obviously, with the game in, uh, against Bristol City coming up, that uh, they won't enjoy being beaten 8-0, but it won't be, you know, losing 1-0 won't have made it any easier for them. So it's it's mm-hmm. it's all on those final few games. And can I ask you quickly as well about the Chelsea win? Obviously, not their strongest 11 by far, but they still got the job done and put in a fantastic performance. Yeah, and of course they've got an exceptional squad that they can dip into and rotate, and 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 uh, you know they will they will be better than most sides they come up against, uh, even when rotating. London City Lionesses, obviously mid table in the Championship. Um, you know that's very difficult bridge to, to bridge to gap. So uh, gap to the bridge. Sorry, <laughs> put my teeth back in. Um, yeah, so it's uh, a comfortable one that one uh, for, for for Chelsea. Hmm. Our producer Luke was at the most intriguing tie of the day as Manchester United made the short trip to Burnley, who are two divisions below in the National League. It was a comfortable victory for Man U in the end as they ran out 6-0 winners. Two from Ella Toon, along with goals from Lucy Staniforth, Millie Turner, Amy Turner and Kirsty Hansen saw the Reds through. Luke caught up with Staniforth and manager Casey Stoney after the game. You must be obviously pleased just to get through um, the FA Cup. It must be a target this year now with maybe obviously the league title out of reach. 100% we, we fight for everything that we take part in um, and the FA Cup's no different to that. I think with the squad that we've got and the players that we've got coming back next year, we'll really look to attack it and it's something that we want to win. Yeah, tough ties well coming up now. I think it's Leicester you've got, isn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously they've had a fantastic year. They've got promoted. Um, and credit to them, they've done a good job. Uh, but as a WSL one side, obviously we uh, should be winning that tie, and it's definitely something that we will go into full of confidence and look to play our best on the day. And what's your targets now as the season finishes? Uh, win every single game that we play in, obviously, um, just enjoy as much of it and play as well as we can to obviously give the fans something to be proud of. Casey, a really good win, and that was the big thing. Was it the strength in depth that you've got at the minute? Yeah, I'm actually saying we haven't got strength in depth because we've got so many injuries. Um, but in terms of the youngsters, you're yeah, able to board them as well. it's great to be able to bring Tara on. I think Fran come on and had the calmest head on the pitch at times in terms of playing in goal and playing out of pressure. And getting carry on the pitch was good. So, yeah, to be able to turn to the bench and be able to bring youth players on and know that they can cope. And I've seen that every day in training. So, you know, it's just be able to, nice to be able to get them on. It was a pleasing thing as well, I know, um, obviously you're wrong with playing Burnley, but it was a pleasing thing that you didn't even have a shot at goal, didn't really get close to your area either. No, I thought we dominated and controlled the game, that was one of my points, was how can we control the game for 90 minutes, and we did that. I think we did our brilliant basics really well. Uh, yes, more goals would have been nice, absolutely, um, but like you say, we, we, we didn't give them any chance to get in the game, which was pleasing. And that's what it's about coming here, and it just doing the basics right, isn't it? Yeah, especially on a pitch like this, it was really tricky. It actually looks really nice from here, yeah. <laughs> but I can tell you it's not. Um, so doing the basics really well, doing the defending very well, which I thought we did, uh, and moving the ball in the right areas. So, yeah, really pleasing. That victory means United now host Leicester City. They saw Liverpool by a goal to nil, thanks to a goal from Tash Flint. Hannah, you were at the all-WSL tie between Reading and Spurs, and it was Spurs who prevailed after extra time in the end. What were your thoughts on the game? Um, I thought that it was it was a tough uh, tie for the two teams. They're next to each other in the table. And I thought they actually both played quite well. They were both, you could see that the players were really hungry for it. And, you know, um, I, 
uh, Kelly Chambers after the match said it came down to mistakes and Spurs' first goal was from a free kick. But I think that um, Spurs kind of just managed to find their way a bit more. It went to extra time. So it was, um, they were both uh, fighting for it. But And it was um, a nice goal from Jessica Naz that won it for Spurs. Um, and I think Spurs have some big ties coming up in the WSL. So I think it should be a good boost for them moving forward. And Hannah, you spoke to Spurs manager Rianne Skinner after the game. We can hear what she had to say now. It was a tough fixture coming in against Reading. Um, and obviously you played not too long ago and Drew, what lessons did you take from, from that previous match? And and what was different for you guys today, do you think? Yeah, it's a, a really good question. You know, we did learn a lot from the last game. You know, we felt a little bit like we could have got more out of that game as well. But there were some things that out of possession in particular, we didn't do as effectively as we could have. So we adjusted our press today to make life a little bit more difficult for them. Um, and the rewards of that were us regaining possession higher up the pitch on a couple of occasions that obviously kept the pressure on. So we asked quite a lot of questions, really, of how they were going to get out of that early on in the game. And it sort of set the tone for us, really, especially, you know, the first part of the press, We, you know, it's very difficult to win that first part. But the second part of it, we were in great positions, ready to sort of capitalise on that, um, which created a couple of goal-scoring opportunities for us. So uh, that's probably the biggest thing we've taken from that. And the other side to it is being a little bit more technically composed in front of goal. You know, we've still got some work to do on that. We've missed opportunities today. You know, we've hit over the bar a number of times. So it's a work in progress, but we're certainly focusing on, you know, being a little bit more composed and taking our chances when we create them. And um, looking ahead, you've got some big fixtures in the WSL and also against Sheffield United. How much of a boost do you think this win will be for the team? Yeah, of course. You know, we want to get a little bit of momentum going into those last few games. We had a friendly last week that, that was really positive for us as well. So we're building up that that bit of momentum through the games and through training. And, and of course, I think in any football team, that, that helps you to have that. Um, sometimes it's quite difficult to, to get out of it when it's not against you, when it's not with you, that momentum. But now I think we've turned the little corner and I think we're in a really positive place overall. So hopefully that does help us going into these next next few games. Well, let's have a look at the other FA Cup ties now, starting off with a major upset in the game. You were at, Andrew. Yes, indeed, Sean Ed. Yeah, uh, Southampton were the beneficiaries of that shock. Uh, fourth tier, of course, but... Uh, I mean, clearly good enough to play in the third tier. They beat Yeovil in the last round. Uh, they haven't had the promotions they might have otherwise deserved because, of course, uh, the National League seasons have been curtailed the last couple of years. So really, what is the ceiling for Southampton? Could they compete against a championship side? They suffered in the cup last season against Coventry, but this time they did indeed uh, bridge that two-division gap uh, thanks to fantastic goals from Georgie Freeland and Rachel Panting. Lewis, it was that had the chance to take the lead with uh, Imi Umatong's penalty saved by Saints keeper Kayla Rendell. Then Freeland turned on the edge of the box to put Southampton uh, 1-0 up. Lewis equalised through Umatong's header, but then Rachel Panting with 12 minutes to go against her former club, hit a first-time shot from 35 yards out and uh, yeah, she won that tie. And uh, afterwards, I got to got to speak to her about that goal and the victory. Well, Rachel, I know you spent a brief period uh, here at the Dripping Pan. What a way to mark your return. What a goal and booking a place in the fifth round as well. What a day for you. 
yeah, fantastic. I mean, Lewis is a fantastic club and obviously I really enjoyed my time here. Um, but yeah, to, to obviously come here and not only win um, and score like a decent goal, uh, yeah, so personally it's obviously a good thing, but the main thing was coming away with the win and I'm so proud of all the girls out there. Oh, come on, you say decent. First time shot from about 30, 35 yards out, beat the keeper. I mean, yeah. talk, I mean, describe your reaction, your immediate emotions and uh, when that went in. I mean, I knew that obviously it was later on in the game, so I knew that it was an important time to score. So like, obviously, as soon as I struck it, there's, there's times where you just know it's going to go in and fortunately it did. Um, and I mean, at that moment in time, I think I was probably a bit like speechless, like, but obviously, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable, unbelievable feelings. Like, but waiting for that final whistle, it just seemed to drag for ages, but so happy. And of course, you know, you'd taken the lead, um, you know, seen a penalty that you had to face saved. And uh, yeah, so you'd taken the lead, been clawed back. It must have been a, a really, uh, you know, you dug the trenches sometimes, didn't you? Yeah, um, I mean, Kayla with that penalty stop was absolutely ridiculous, like unbelievable save there. And obviously for us to have then gone 1-0 up um, was, was brilliant. And we obviously came out in the second half wanting to hold that lead. Uh, but I think full credit to us, we never dropped our heads. We knew that we were still in the game. We obviously had a lot of defending to do throughout um, and everyone just put in 110% tonight, uh, today. Um, and ultimately we only got a few few chances but it's about being clinical and that's exactly what we were today so yeah brilliant. and very quickly then away in Birmingham City in the next round doesn't uh, doesn't get any easier does it you go along to, uh, yeah be progressing up tier three then championship and now obviously women's super league but I mean you know at the end of the day if you want to win a competition like this you have to play the best teams and you have to beat the best teams so you know for us it's a fantastic challenge um, the pressure's all on them to be honest with you um, but we'll be going there and we're wanting and hopefully we'll give them a very tough game. So fingers crossed. And in the rest of the games away from our featured matches, there were some large margins of victory as the WSL clubs packed full of internationals training and playing regularly, unsurprisingly overwhelmed FA Women's National League clubs who have been badly impacted uh, by the lockdown. The scores have been well publicised and unfortunately celebrated too well by those on the right side of them. Let's just say that West Ham and Arsenal got the better of Chichester and Chelsea and Gillingham respectively. And as we've heard, Manchester United were too good for Burnley. Championship side Sheffield United also eased past Middlesbrough. Uh, there were also some one-sided games between the elite level sides uh, as well, though, emphasising the golfing class that exists between the haves and the have-less. Manchester City, as we mentioned, 8-0 winners over Aston Villa and Chelsea beating London City 5-0. But Birmingham put their off-field troubles behind them with a 5-1 win over Championship side Coventry. I think that's their first win in any competition since November. Uh, Blackburn, meanwhile, ended the run of Wolves. They'd taken the lead, actually. They looked like they might cause another shock, but ended up losing 5-2. Everton needed an injury time winner to see off Durham, who had led their more illustrious opponents for five minutes early in the second half. Huddersfield beat Derby uh, 3-2 in an all-National League clash, and their reward in the next round is a trip to Brighton, who needed a spot kick to beat Bristol City. Uh, Charlton were pushed to extra time by National League South side Oxford, but the Addicts came through in the end. Crystal Palace beat London Bees 3-0 in an all-championship clash. Uh, kind of adds to London Bees' woes, doesn't it, really? Uh, so just to quickly run through then, the fifth round draw uh, looks like this. 
in no particular order, really, as they came out of the hat, I think. Birmingham will play Southampton. They're the lowest side left in the competition. Brighton meet National League side Huddersfield. Arsenal will play Championship Crystal Palace. It's a championship clash between Blackburn and Charlton. Man City will meet West Ham. It's Chelsea against Everton. Uh, Manchester United will meet uh, WSL-bound Leicester. And Spurs meet Sheffield United. Ties to be played uh, on the weekend of the 15th and 16th of May. Oh, I've got to sound like Graham Kelly then. Yeah. Finally, there are two fixtures in midweek in the WSL and they are huge fixtures at both ends of the table. On Tuesday evening, West Ham can really pull themselves clear of the drop zone if they beat Aston Villa. If Aston Villa win, then they can leapfrog the Hammers into 10th place. Andrew, this is Villa's game in hand, it's worth mentioning, and it's a massive one for them, isn't it? Like you've touched on briefly. Yes, it is. Yeah, um, obviously they've got. I think they've got a couple of games in hand on Bristol City. Uh, same number of games as as West Ham and Birmingham. Three points separate the bottom four as it stands. So, you know, throw a blanket over them. Um, Spurs four points ahead, having played a game more. So, it's it. Yeah, it's it's one of those games. I mean, essentially, uh, it's huge for Villa, yes, and huge for West Ham. I think if West Ham were to win, that would probably mean they've just about done enough. They might need an extra result just to sort of give them a bit of security. For Villa, it almost doesn't matter who they get the results against. They just need a couple of wins because you know they're playing all the sides that they need to play really. Mm. And. Amy, I guess after West Ham's recent results, they'll be full of confidence, won't they, going into this one? Yeah, especially compared to to Villa's form. Um, you know, they've had a, a few a few defeats in a row. Um, it's one of those games. I mean, you won't want to you won't want to be asked. You know, you won't want to go on record and say who's going to go down, would you? Because he's just so close. Um, it's it could go any which way. I mean. Before the, the Reading game, the Reading win that West Ham had, you looked at them and thought, you know, they have no momentum. And you just worried for them in terms of when they needed to get a win and they needed to get it soon. And, you know, they surprised everybody with that result. So I think that result probably shows that you, you cannot kind of predict where this one kind of will go. Um, yeah, it's going to be, it's absolutely massive. On Wednesday night, it's a potential title decider at the Manchester City Academy Stadium as Man City host Chelsea with just two points separating the sides at the moment. A Chelsea win would see them go five points clear with just three games to go. Amy, the feeling is almost whoever wins this game, they'll go on to win the league, won't they? Yeah, it's very... Again, it's, I mean, it's absolutely massive. Um, it's it's a strange one as well because Chelsea, you know, they they won at the CFA earlier this season in the cup, but in extra time. And other than that, they've really struggled at the CFA. They've never won in normal time up there. And you know, I think the fact that they did win in the cup, even if it was an extra time, I think it will. You know, Emma Hayes talked about it. I think she said after the game last time, you know, when her dad said finally, you know, you've won there or something. Um, mm-hmm. So. That might be some sort of psychological thing for the players that have been there for quite a while and have struggled up there. Yeah, again, it's one of those that you you kind of can't call because when they played each other early in the season, City were not really in their groove like they are now. So it's going to be, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully it's a, an absolute cracker like that, that cup game. Chelsea are, are in the mood to make kind of history, aren't they? Because... Uh, with the win over Wolfsburg, I mean, I was I was on a webinar where Emma Hayes was speaking recently, and she basically said, you know, I just 
she was asked about the secret, if you like, behind their European progress. And she said, I'm not, she said, I just wasn't going to lose to Wolfsburg again. It's as simple as that. And so mm-hmm. she may feel the same about going up to, to City. So she may feel, well, no, now it's time to, and of course it's in their favour with the two points in hand. Mm, definitely. And Hannah, both sides rested players in the cup at the weekend. So they'll have their big players up and ready to go, won't they? We'll see um, both teams at, like putting out their their best squad at, at full strength because as as you guys have said you know it's it's the big match for them now at a crucial point in the campaign and so it it should be a great match to watch absolutely and both of those games will be live on BT Sport as well so we'll be sure to keep our eyes across the results in Maeve's week well that's it for this week's episode thank you very much for listening and thank you as well to our fantastic guests Amy, Andrew and Hannah for joining us this weekend great to see the three of you don't forget to give us a follow on social media it's at TWFP1 on Twitter and at the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram where we have video interviews with FA Cup reaction from Burnley's Matt Bees and Southampton manager the legend that is Marianne Spacey Kale also please give us a follow on our YouTube channel so thanks once again to Andrew Hannah and Amy for joining me and we'll see you on the next one. 